Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Gay Hendricks has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body mind therapies for over 45 years. After earning his PhD in counseling psychology from Stanford, Gay served as a professor at the University of Colorado for 21 years. He has written and co-authored with his wife, Katie, 35 books, including the bestseller, Conscious Loving, used as a primary text in universities around the world. Gay is here to talk about human potential and the things that get in the way. Gay, thank you for coming back to the show today. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm always delighted to talk with you about this particular subject because I think it's something that every human being really needs to consider. I, I so agree with you. Why, why do you think it's so important for every human being to consider this? Well, almost everybody, if you really tune in deep down inside yourself, has an urge to find out what your true unique gifts are and to bring those out into the world. You know that all of us, no matter what we do, we have within us creative genius that needs to be brought out. It doesn't matter if you're making a soup or a symphony. It's it's the process of opening up to your own creative depths inside yourself and transcending your own upper limits. Because all of us have things we want to accomplish in our lives, goals and dreams and that kind of thing. And unfortunately, most of us, including myself, came came out of childhood with various limitations. You know, some people, like if you if you grew up in a neighborhood where there was no such thing as the color red, well, you would have a gigantic coal in your consciousness. You wouldn't know what to call that color. And same thing if you grew up in a, in a neighborhood or a way of thinking and everything which was not, not very prosperity-oriented. For example, later on, even if you started making more money, you might find ways to sabotage yourself and bring yourself back down. So I think within each of us is that spirit to go beyond ourselves, to achieve something beyond what we can imagine for ourselves. And for that reason, I think since we're all in the process of taking big leaps in our lives, we need to know how to do it, how to take a big leap successfully and gently and in a way that you land well. And so when I wrote The Big Leap, I wanted to give people a real manual for how to open up to that genius part of themselves and bring it through. You know, I just love that so much because when I started this show, I was trying to figure out like, why are some people successful and why are some people not? And this is back in 2006. And when you talked about, you know, if you grew up not thinking, you know, not being exposed to that, right? I just thought, well, my life was so messed up, so there's no way I could be successful. And then as life, as I went on my life, I was able to create areas of success. And the show is, my intention for the show is to be the place where inspiration and possibility meet. So how perfect is that for us to have this discussion in this place, in this space? (laughs) Um. 
So in your book, The Big Leap, the Big Leap, you discuss the zone of genius. And you mentioned it a little bit before, but for those that have just come to this and you know don't even know what we're talking about with the zone of genius, what does that mean exactly? Yes. Well, think of each of us as having four different zones inside ourselves. One is our zone of competence, where you're you can do something, but somebody else could do it just as well, probably. You know, like I'm a competent car driver, but <laughs> I don't always drive myself to the airport because I maybe have something else to work on. So I get somebody to drive me to the airport and I sit in the back seat and work on my stuff. And the person who's up front, they're in charge of getting me safely to the airport. And so in life, you really need to surround yourself with competent people who can do things at least as well as you because what you want to do then is free up more time for you to express the things that you are singularly good at. And that's in your zone of excellence and your zone of genius. So we all have things that we're good at, but somebody else could do just as well. Your zone of excellence is made up of things that you can do probably better than other people. You know, I'm, I'm, um, uh, have friends that are excellent golfers. I play mm-hmm. golf with them sometimes. I'm a sort of an average golfer, but I enjoy hanging out with them and everything. But, you know, I, I have friends that I that take it extremely seriously and they have, you know, five handicaps and that kind of thing. And um, so they're, they, they're excellent in golf. But now here's the thing. Within each of us is what I call the zone of genius, where you need to find the thing in life that so lights you up inside when you do it that you would do it all day long freely, but you're also willing to make plenty of money doing it. So I think within each of us is this zone of genius. Like, for example, I when I started thinking about this 30 years ago and started working with people on this, the first thing I did, of course, was I'm my own best customer. So I sat down and I figured out, okay, what is my zone of genius? What is it that I'm doing that's me at my best? What is my unique ability? The first thing I had to do, though, was start eliminating things that were in my zone of competence and incompetence because I was spending time doing things that were in my zone of competence and incompetence instead of delegating them or getting somebody else to do that. So what I did was I started asking myself, what do I love to do above all else? What would I love to do if I could do it all day long? I'd never get bored with it. I'd do it cheerfully, even if I wasn't getting paid for it. So I started asking myself that question. And I've since asked thousands of people that question, and we'll ask your audience also, tune in this moment to ask yourself, hmm, what is me at my genius? What is... What is it that I love to do so much that I could do it all day long and I wouldn't get bored? And what I came up with, the thing I love to do is I love the flow of energy and it's really a flow of energy and love, I think, that comes out of the kind of conversations we're having here where people are talking about what matters most in life. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never been very good at parties and things like that because I've never been very good at small talk. And but what I love to have more than anything else 
is the kind of conversation you and I are having right now. And I got clear on that 30-some years ago, and so I just started creating my life so that I got to do more and more and more of this and less and less and less of the other stuff that I didn't like to do. Like I used to teach at a university, for example, Mm -hmm. which was fun about one-tenth of the time Mm -hmm. and interesting about one-tenth of the time, but the rest of the time, oh, man, I had to go to all these meetings (laughs) that I didn't want to be at, and I had to, you know serve on all these committees that were basically, they would take a year to decide something that you could have decided in five minutes. (laughs) I know that because I used to teach at a community college, so I understand that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 You know, as you say this, I was, I've had a fascinating morning. I'm really busy and we had this interview and, um, a colleague of mine who has a podcast, he's one of the, very old podcaster, but we were talking and I was just like so lit up and talking to him. And and it comes from that place about, you know, where does inspiration and possibility meet, right? For me, it's about just, I love connecting with people and I love to like, for people to see who they are and what's possible and then take them through those action steps. You know, I've, I was, I've been a swim coach for 21 years and I, I'm a life coach and stuff, but and I love that part. And then before we talked, my husband has a, a swimmer who's an Olympian. And so he came by for a few minutes and, you know, I was talking to him again and I was like, gosh, you know, look at you. You are an Olympic athlete. You are once and forever will always be an Olympian. And you have these pillars that have made you, right? And these are things that are transferable. And I, so when, as you're talking, I'm thinking, this is what I'm passionate about. Like I can talk about this stuff all day long. I love this. And you're right. When If I were to go to a party, I hate parties because that small talk, it just doesn't work for me. But to talk about stuff like this just ignites me. I love it. So I'm glad to be talking to you today. Oh, well, good. I am too because I've, um, as I get older too and more mature, I'm less and less to have inclined to have any kinds of conversations that aren't absolutely the most essential thing. You know, even if we have guests over, we don't sit around and talk about casual things. My living room has had thousands of conversations in it about life and spirituality and relationships and those kinds of things. So I think that inside each of us, you're speaking with your program here, you're speaking to something that I think is essential in the human spirit, which is to keep that spark of creativity alive, that part of us that can surprise us. You know that so much of life we go through the routines, you know, I I know I go to the gym three days a week at a certain specific time and I work out with my trainer for an hour. So there's a certain part of my life which is routine. But on the other hand, I want to make every moment of that count. I want to be present for every moment when I'm pedaling on that bicycle or pushing that weight machine back and forth. I want to make sure that I'm present for the moments of my life, because one of the things I've found, and perhaps you found it true for you too, is that early in my life, I missed a lot of what was going on right around me and right Mm -hmm. under my nose and what was going on in the present, because like that John Lennon song says, life is what's happening while you're busy making other plans, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, in your head. And I, I had, I was so much in my head at the time that I don't think I was present to what was really going on around me. So over the past 30 years or so, especially the, I've been blessed to be in this magnificent relationship with my wife, Kathleen, also known as Katie, for the past 34 years now. And 
yeah, we're just now moving into our 35th year together as of last month. And so we've had this incredible rich time over the past three and a half decades, a place where we could really test out all our relationship ideas and make sure they work to create more harmony and love in our own hearts before we went out there and tried to do that with other people. Ooh, I love that. I love that. And congratulations, 35 years, quite a journey. It's been amazing. And that includes uh, 10 books that we co-authored together and uh, three houses that we remodeled (laughs) together and all of the things that could potentially be trouble spots in a relationship. (laughs) You've been challenged. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anybody that's remodeled a 100-year-old Victorian um, up at uh, 6,000 feet needs to needs some kind of metal. Katie and I took that on uh, some years ago, and we, uh, we uh, built this um, or remodeled this beautiful old 100-year-old Victorian when we lived in Colorado that we just adored. But it was one of those things like having a 100-year-old car. You know, mm-hmm. by the time you get down to the uh, 7-Eleven to get a glass of milk or something, your your car is broken somehow and you need to get it fixed. And uh, so that's, that's what life in a hundred-year-old Victorian is like. <laughs> so going back to this, this zone of genius, right? Because getting re- ready for this interview, I was talking to people and some people would, would make their zone of genius, oh, well, I do this. I'm a teacher or I'm a coach or I'm a lawyer and that's my zone of genius. And I was thinking, and please, you know, correct me where I'm wrong on this, but um, I was thinking those were kind of the vehicles for their zone of genius, and their genius was maybe the fact that they could really get bits of information to people, like where people could understand it. Like if they were a teacher, they can condense some information, simplify it so that their students understood that. What are your? Can you help me clarify this zone of genius? Well, that would be, for example, in in me, that is one of my areas I've identified in my zone of genius is I'm good and and a genius at communicating sort of big, hard-to-understand ideas about psychology and spirituality and relationship. I'm good at condensing them so that people can really understand. You know, like there's probably 500 books in, in relationship counseling written on the subject of communication. And yet... You know, we have things that we've worked years to learn how to communicate in just the most elegant series of words. Like, for example, we have um, when we have couples here, we ask them to make a commitment to each other that has to do with honesty. And the commitment is, I commit to revealing rather than concealing. So that's very simple. You know, anybody can understand that. You could read 500 books on communication, but until you really knew that in the moment you need to make a living commitment to revealing rather than concealing, because so many of us have been in relationships and grown up in families where feelings were concealed and people lied about things, and so we need to start afresh at some point in our lives by making a commitment ourselves to the things that are important to us. So, for example, in relationship, you can't have a relationship with between two people if they're not being completely honest with each other. But most couples have never, you know, kind of stood face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and made an actual sincere commitment to the other person that they are committing to revealing themselves rather than concealing themselves. 
And the same thing goes true with other commitments that we have couples make. Um, we, we ask couples to make a commitment, for example, to appreciating each other. And, you know, while it may seem intuitive that it's implied in being in a relationship, many, if not most people, when they leave a relationship and they ask, and somebody asks them, why did you leave? One of the biggest things they say is, because I never felt appreciated. And so Katie and I have developed programs that are based on handling those kinds of simple things, but sometimes those simple things are what makes us feel most spiritually alive, too. You know, like, I had a man in here one time who confessed a guilty secret to his wife that he had been carrying around for many years. He'd been he'd had a sexual affair and hadn't told his wife about it. So, in the safe conditions of the therapy office, he revealed this secret, and of course, he was upset for a period of time about that, but they moved through that rather quickly because both of them made a commitment to each other on the spot that they would rather be, rather have the truth told to them than to be lied to at any point. So I asked couples to actually make the choice. Would you want a relationship? Do you want a relationship? And are you willing to commit to a relationship in which both people are willing to be completely real and both people are willing to take full responsibility for the things that come up? And both of them are absolutely willing also to appreciate each other. And it's those kind of commitments that can take a relationship that's been out of whack for 20 years and suddenly put it back on track again. You have to start again at some point. And so I know I'm going a little more into relationship stuff, but in a way, the big leap really plays out in the realm of your relationship. So when you make your jump into your zone of genius, that has an effect on all of our relationships around us because then they have to either rise to the challenge of rising to their genius or back off a little bit and distance themselves from us. And so any successful person knows oftentimes the disruption sometimes that's caused by success in your relationships. You know that a lot of people relate to you differently once you're successful. And I think that that's something that, uh, you know, many people don't really talk about very much, but it's absolutely true. Ooh, that is a, that is a really good topic. And I've seen that happen. Um, with that with that zone of genius, so you just gave two great examples of your zone of genius of where you can take these really broad, you know, lots of information topics, right, and make it so simple where people can actually make it actionable. Like when you said, look, we're going to make a commitment to honesty and it's about revealing rather than concealing, that just condensed 500 books and all the reasons yeah. why. It lights me up and it keeps it simple where I think – that my takeaway from the show is that's a conversation for me to have with my children. I have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. And even though that's the way that I live my life, and I'm not being unrealistic, I don't think my kids will, are going to you know, tell me everything. But, but to explain to them that I'm making a commitment when I think about things and when I talk with them, it's coming from a place where I'm rooted of honesty, right? I want to have this authenticity to build this relationship. And that's what I continue to practice. So just by you saying that, that's what kind of exploded in my mind. And it's going to affect my, 
you know, parenting that I do with my own children. So thank you. Yes, well, we learned a lot of these things, too, in parenting, too, um, that, you know, parenting and now grandparenting, in my case, <laughs> is really the one of the biggest challenges on earth. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things, too, that you don't get much training for, like relationships. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been great if they sat us down in uh, elementary school and gave us an hour of training a day on how to listen compassionately or how to communicate our feelings in a gentle way or how to solve a problem without needing to make somebody wrong. You know, these are things that are so essential to life, but most of us don't get any training about them. I remember spending hours trying to learn the capitals of all the states (laughs) (laughs) and the uh, gross national product of Bolivia and all those kind of things that uh, has probably changed enormously since then, but I, I never learned how to communicate very well until I had to get up into relationships and thrash around and not do it very well. And then gradually through counseling and seminars and things, gradually learn how to communicate. But I think it's an amazing thing that you can get all the way through PhD without having a 10 minutes of uh, training on how to communicate with another human being. (laughs) So then Gay, how did you, you know, you crashed and burned and go through a PhD and then especially where the training is so much about, you know, how can you produce and how can you talk in this language that is not very accessible, you know, to the common person, right? Because that's what happens. I have a lot of friends who are professors. Um, but now you have the, your genius is that you can make bite-sized information understandable. So how did you go from that one area to where you are now? Well, I've always had a real interest in democratizing personal growth having it available to the maximum number of people. And I even remember a conversation I had when I was working on my PhD at Stanford, and I was talking to one of the professors, and he was asking me, do you want to go into academia and be a professor of counseling psychology, or do you want to go into private practice and, you know, be a private practice therapist? And those were the two main things that people did in my program when they got their PhD. And I said, well, of the two, I definitely would go for academia, but that's not exactly what I'm interested in. It's the closest thing I can think to what I'm interested in. And he said, well, what are you interested in? And I said, well, we have all this tremendous knowledge, but we're not getting it out Mm -hmm. to people out in the world. You know, we're not getting it out to, you know, somebody in the suburbs of Keokuk, Iowa, or, um, a homeless encampment in um, Lebanon. or You know, we, we need to democratize this. We need to get this out to the world. And so I remember the professor looking at me like I was insane. I mean, <laughs> he looked at me like, are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? And so I realized right away, okay, I'm, t- I'm thinking about something that's maybe in the future. But at the time, the Internet wasn't available and there weren't things like cable tv shows on pbs (laughs) you know there there was hardly even pbs at the time but uh there was there was nothing like the self-help industry and there weren't self-help books and things like that so the world has changed enormously since then and it's changed in i think a very positive direction because thanks to the internet and things like that i mean i can literally have millions and millions of people around the world interacting with an idea I put out on Facebook or Twitter or something like that, you know, within seconds 
of putting it out there where in the old days, you know, you had to like 500 years ago or 300 years ago, you, maybe you wrote a book and then it took you your lifetime to get it printed and then three or four more lifetimes to get it disseminated. Uh, so things can happen very quickly now in the democracy of personal growth area. And that pleases me very greatly. But now I'm, I'm even hungrier for more. Like for example, I, um, uh, set up an app company with some uh, colleagues of mine. So we all invested some money in putting an app business together and are busily creating personal development and relationship apps that will go out to everybody on everybody's iPhone free everywhere for, you know, <laughs> so that everybody who has access to a phone, and by the way, there are 6 billion cell phone accounts now on planet Earth. Wow. So there's a lot of people out there, even in poor villages, uh, you know, their cell phones and work very well, quite well in the third world, whereas landlines don't. And so um, it's very common for a whole village to have several phones, but everybody uses them. So in other words, we can get to now with personal growth materials, people on the planet that we were never able to get to before. And I'm so excited by that because... Um, well, at this stage of the game, particularly, I'm very interested in outreach and giving away all the things that we've learned and trying to get them out to as many people as possible, because I want everybody on Earth to have access to the big leap. And uh, right now, if you can afford, a, you know, 10 bucks for a book or to listen to an interview on the on the radio or whatever we're doing here on the Internet, you can get the information and I want everybody to have it. Well, that's great. And, you know, to get that out there and then so people can see. So like you said earlier, right? Sometimes maybe you don't have the access. Maybe you're in a third world country and you can't see or imagine what's possible. But by having mobile phones, the internet, having all this access, it can be the window, like I call it, the windows of possibility. And that's what the show is about. It's about being the window of possibility of what is possible and how, what nugget can I take from this and apply it in my life with my circumstances. And so it sounds like we're talking about kind of the same thing. And you, and your essence, your essence is about democratizing personal growth. And I love that. I love that. And you figured out how to do it over many years. It's a challenge every day because I I really want to be able to reach the maximum number of people. And, you know, Katie and I have done lots of, um, there was a phase of our life when we did a lot of things like going on Oprah mm -hmm. um, 15 years ago and things like that. And uh, that was very useful at reaching a certain element of folks. You know, we could do something in front of 10 million people that we we're doing in our living room in front of six people the night before, you know, in a, in a small group. And that's a good thing. But I want to go a lot bigger than that. There are billions of people on this planet, and there's so many people that are suffering because they haven't taken that big leap in their lives. They don't, they don't know how to go after their zone of genius. And I want people to know that. I want people everywhere to be able. So um, I'm... Um, I've now decided to take on the entire world as my client. So you can tell I'm thinking kind of big here. <laughs> well, I will help you because thank goodness to the internet, this radio show is broadcast worldwide via iTunes and I have listeners via iTunes and they'll help spread your word. Um, so how do we go after our zone of genius? Start by asking yourself genius questions like, what is it that I love to do? so much that I would do it all day long, 
even if I weren't getting paid for it, assuming I could pay my bills some other way. Okay, so that's one thing. Then ask yourself another question. Go back in your mind to childhood and ask yourself, hmm, what did I love to do so much as a child? I, I, I could just lose myself in it. So start with some basic questions like that. That'll give you an idea because one of the things that the quality of genius has in it is that you're doing something you love to do. It has love to it, and it brings more love into your life. So if it's not bringing more love into your life, if it's not an aspect of something you love to do, it's probably not your genius. You know, like you look at Albert Einstein, for example. I've got a great picture of him on my wall. My my wife some years ago gave me an autographed picture of Albert Einstein, and I have it here on my wall where I can kind of look at it while I'm doing interviews and things like that. And he knew the area that he was a genius in, and he was also willing to play in other areas. You know, there are pictures of him shaking the hands of a president or a picture of him riding a bicycle. I have this one of him riding a bicycle around. Well, you know, he liked to do other things like that. He knew his zone of genius, and he was willing to focus all his time there. So that's what I want for all of us, to discover and spend as much time as we want to in that kind of sweet spot of what we most love to do. If you can do that, I'll tell you, you're having a great life. And I've had the great pleasure of doing that now for more than half my life and also being in a relationship where my wife is also doing the same thing. And it brings about a kind of a delicious feeling that is hard to describe, but I'd sure like everybody to um, get to know it. Well, and I, one of the reasons that I interviewed you many years ago when I first started this show is because you know, your story was the window of possibility for my own, right? You taught at a university, I taught at a community college. So we had the safe tenured environment. And but you felt compelled to go do more of work that was in line with you. So how do you make that transition from something that is so called safe, right, where it's practical, and everybody's doing it, or this is this is the road to this frontier, where there what there weren't steps laid out in front of you? You know, as you were saying that, I pictured uh, in my mind a, a memory of, uh, there's an Indiana Jones movie where Indiana has to step out into the unknown, and when he steps out, kind of with a leap of faith, the bridge appears right under him. In other words, he couldn't see it before, but the act of stepping onto it, suddenly the clouds parted, and there the path was right in front of him. But he had to make that step of faith. Well, I want everybody to be safe. I don't want people to go plunging <laughs> off into space. So I I recommend just start with something simple that everybody can do. And that is to dedicate 10 minutes this day before you go to sleep tonight and 10 minutes any other day to doing something in your zone of genius. And if you don't know what your zone of genius is, block out 10 minutes. Go in a room by yourself, someplace where you're not going to be disturbed. Go outside and sit under a tree and just sit there for 10 minutes and ask yourself, hmm, what is my real genius? Hmm, what am I uniquely suited to do? Hmm, what do I do that brings me so much joy that I do it all day long freely if I could get my bills paid and create wealth in some other way. So 
ask yourself those big questions. I live in those questions. I love those questions. And they've guided me to a life where I basically don't do anything else but my zone of genius and then getting around from place to place. And so, um, you know, this interview would be a good example of it. But why I got stuck in traffic was I was over at the place where my wife is doing a training on the other side of town. And uh, we rented a bigger space because we had a bigger turnout for a training this month than we thought we were going to have. And so we had to rent a larger space. And so I went over there to take my wife a, a stool she likes to sit on while she's teaching. And I got caught up in traffic and everything coming back. So, um, But I spent a half an hour over there just answering questions and talking to them. Then I drove back over here. Here I'm doing this with you. And so in one way or the other, I've designed my life so I get to spend basically 90% of my time that I'm awake anyway, doing things that are in my zone of genius, or I'm driving somewhere to do it or, you know, being carried around somewhere in an airplane or something like that. So I want to first, so suggest that you spend 10 minutes and then do like I did start, set yourself the goal of spending half your time in your zone of genius and then 60% of your time and then 70% of your time. And pretty soon one of these days you'll wake up, like I did and realize, wow, I'm spending 90% of my time now. I'm a zone of genius. It's a good thing. Well, and I love that. So the things that, you, what you just said was, you know, test things out, take small steps. It doesn't have to be, you know, jumping out into space and no parachute. Take these small steps and, and you'll get there. But by asking great questions, and that leads me to a previous guest is Carol Dweck from Stanford who studies psychology, but she talks about the growth mindset, right? And it sounds like that's kind of what you have of, I, I there's these things that I'm compelled to do and I'm going to ask these questions so I can open up my mind to see what is really possible. What is it that I want to do and how can I get this information out? And and then you've seen just technology transform since you were uh, a student at Stanford yourself and change in ways that weren't even possible 30 years ago, haven't you? Well, it's really quite remarkable. I think that when we look underneath ourselves and kind of dig down deep, we're going to find either a state of fear or wonder. When you go down deep in yourself and you really you see that a lot of the time you contract in fear. But some of the time you open up in wonder. And our job, I think, as human beings is to gradually replace the fear with wonder. There's lots of things to be scared about here on this planet. But on the other hand, there's an infinity of things to wonder about and come up with interesting solutions and creative designs for. So we need to get busy at designing a planet that has lots of peace and freedom in it and designing a planet that has safety and artistic opportunity in it and get our attention focused on that and uh, get away from the things that uh, are fear-based, such as the tendencies to start wars and uh, inconvenience other people. So uh, we, um, I'm, pr I'm here to promote wonder, the experience of really opening up and wondering what kind of magnificent beings we can really be. And do do you ever do you always remain in your zone of genius? I know you said you're in there ninety percent of the time, but do you sometimes visit the zone of competence or the zone of excellence? Absolutely, I think we all do, and we should. In other words, um, I don't consider myself a genius parent or grandparent. <laughs> 
you know, but, but I do the best I can um, because I can point to lots of things that weren't exactly genius moves. And same thing in business. <laughs> you know, I, I have... Um, I have a number of businesses that I run, the apps business, and I have a person who runs that, but they report to me. And then I, I am an investor in a, a chain of um, urban sweat lodges called Shape House that are beginning to spring up around Los Angeles. And I have a number of other businesses too. And I want to run those businesses in a way that is easy and peaceful and serene but I don't always make genius moves. Sometimes I make absolutely dumbass moves in business, you know, that have cost me lots of money. And so does other business person. You know, if you find somebody who won't admit cheerfully to making a whole bunch of dumb moves in their life, you haven't, you're not, you're not meeting an honest person. You know? So, and, and, you know, I've, I've asked billionaire business people like Michael Dell and other people like that, that I've, worked with or coached or whatever, and they'll be the first to admit that they make bonehead moves just like everybody else, although they make make billionaire moves too. I think we all have a zone of genius, a, jo- a zone of competence, a zone of excellence, and a zone of incompetence in us. And our job is to keep moving toward the zone of, of excellence and genius and keep finding ways to delegate things that are in our zone of competence and incompetence. I came awake one day with a jolt and realized I'd spent 10 minutes standing in the line at the post office while there was one clerk there. And there was about 15 of us in the line in my little town's post office. There'd been a rush and the poor clerk was just kind of wading through it as best she could. But we were standing there in line for 10 minutes. And now when I do executive coaching, I know for a fact that they bill my time here at a thousand dollars an hour and I don't have time to do all the ones that I have requests to do. So if, if my time is being spent doing that, I'm making a thousand dollars an hour. So what did I just do standing in line for 10 minutes at the post office? I just blew off 150 to $200, didn't I? by doing something that somebody else could have been doing for me. Somebody I could have been paying 10 bucks an hour to do that. There I'm saving $150 an hour by not standing in line at the post office. So it doesn't matter. You you probably don't bill, you know, maybe your customers and your audience doesn't bill $1,000 an hour, but I've been doing this, you know, for 40 years. So uh, I can get those kinds of fees. So, and at this point, you know, honestly, most of the money that we make around here goes into our foundation and things like that. So, um, but we're always interested in increasing our prosperity around here. And one of the ways we do it is by being vigilant about not wasting our time in our zone of competence and incompetence. Quit doing those things or get somebody else to do them for you. And you'll see an immediate uptick in your uh, uh, bank book, very likely. Well, and didn't you also say, though, that Einstein, there were things that he did go into his zone of incompetence or maybe competence, like meeting with the president, things that maybe could that be used in a way to stretch or to reaffirm that, oh, this is I'm colder, I'm getting off track. So could those zones of competence or zones of incompetence actually help us redirect us back into our zone of genius? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is the way to do it. Um you know, you wake up one day and you find, oh, okay, I'm not in my zone of um, genius right now. 
you know, like, I, well, Einstein is a great example. If you read Einstein's first autobiography, he doesn't even mention his first wife in it. <laughs> to me, that's not a genius move. <laughs> that's a bonehead move. <laughs> that's asking for it. You know, that, that's like saying, I have got such a giant blind spot here, I, I can't even uh, get it into my head. But um, so... Yeah, in fact, uh, if you've hung around any genius for a while, you'll see that they're about 90% bonehead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was once, uh, I was sitting uh, in uh, an airplane flying out here from Denver one time, and uh, I happened to be on the plane next to the uh, number two guy of one of Colorado's most prominent billionaires. And a guy who's not only a billionaire, uh, but has also been a billionaire basically since he was born. He was born into great wealth. And uh, and so uh, I said, well, what's he like, you know? And the guy looked over me and he said, honestly, he hasn't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, because he's been insulated for so long from anything having to do with reality or having to do with <laughs> anything, really. But see, I think that the best thing in life is to go through life and open up to it just wide open as it is, to take things as they are and then transform them rather than sealing ourselves off from things as they are. Let's open up fully and embrace everything and then go further in our zone of genius. Can you go into that a bit more? What do you mean? Can you give like a specific example? Yes. Let's say you catch yourself in the middle of having, of doing something that's in your zone of competence. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, a friend of mine called me one Sunday afternoon to bemoan that he had spent 13 hours trying to install his new com um, printer, computer <laughs> printer, and he'd been on the phone four hours with Hewlett Packard customer support. Okay, now I happen to know that this person, when he goes out and consults, gets paid $8,000 a day. <laughs> now do the math. So he has just spent let's see, one full day, 14 hours, is, let's say a day and a half. So he spent $12,000 of time doing something that he could have hired a neighborhood uh, computer geek kid to do for him, to go, you know, to sit on the phone and do things. Uh, and I've got one of those kids in my neighborhood that I hire from time <laughs> to time. The kid's a genius. And, you know, nowadays I don't even program my own stuff. You know, I, I, I can do it. I know how to read a manual like every, like most people, but you know, he can program my stuff over here in 10 minutes, whereas I've got to sit there on the floor for an hour, uh, you know, to go through it all. So, because he's been raised on electronics, I wasn't, you know, I was raised on things like baseballs and footballs and basketballs. And then suddenly I had a transistor radio when I was about nine years old, you know, wow, that was the invention of the century, you know, one of those little tinny transistor radios. So anyway, technology has made communication happen in such an amazing way, yet at the same time, do people communicate any more profoundly than before cell phones? No, I don't think so, because look at, you know, you look at any kid's phone, for example, pick up a high school junior's phone. What are you doing? Nothing. Me neither. You too? Oh my God. 
you know, <laughs> so it, it's not like the airwaves are full of profound observations <laughs> all the time. You know. So, Gay, what takeaways do you have for the listeners today? Find any place in you where you're not operating in your zone of genius and love yourself as much as you can for doing that, but as quickly as possible, ask yourself, hmm, what is I... What is my zone of genius, and how can I root myself there 29 hours a day? Well, Gay, thank you so much for coming back and being a guest today. My pleasure. Have a good life. Thank you. Wow, that was Gay Hendricks, and he is the author of the book, The Big Leap, and I'll have links to his book and his website on the interview page on my website. So what do you think about his zone of genius? Where do you fall in your life? Are you in your zone of genius and your zone of excellence, zone of competence, or zone of incompetence? And when you think about that, really remember that he says that we all are in different areas, right? We're not always at 100%. I don't even think to this day he's at 100%. So we can, we can be in our zone of incompetence and learn from that and redirect us to get us more to our zone of genius. So I do invite you when you're thinking about this to consider, you know, Carol Dweck's growth mindset, be that growth mindset. Don't shame yourself and beat yourself up, right? We want to be compassionate with ourselves, but really think about, okay, what is my zone of genius? And even if we start with that small step of 10 minutes, asking yourself that question, you know, what do I most love to do? 10 years ago, I would have had a really hard time with this. And I, the more and more that I think about it and talking with him and reading his book, you know, when I think about my zone of genius, I think it's about talking and connecting and holding that safe space, right? Understanding a great deal of information, but being able to synthesize it so people can grab onto it in bite size, right? So that connection piece is a really important piece. And those are things that I'd love to do, right? And when I used to think about this, it was stuff that I always really loved to do, but how did I, how could I achieve that? How could I make that happen? But when I started understanding what is my purpose, right, I really want people to see what is possible for themselves. And I want them to see that through the stories of other people. Because like Gay had mentioned, we all have blind spots, right? Even those super duper wealthy, successful people, we all have blind spots. And so sometimes seeing somebody else's story can help us open up our blind spots and see what is possible. And we can gather these nuggets or these ray of light coming through the windows and then test it out in our life. And so, you know, when you think about your genius and your zone of genius, what is that? What is that for you, right? It's not a specific job. It wasn't that his zone of genius was not being a professor. There were parts that he loved. And then he talked about the parts that he didn't. Those weren't in his zone of genius. What are the parts in your life that you love? And your left brain is going to want to be practical and say, no, this needs to be rational. How is this going to happen? But those become limiting beliefs and they get in your way. So right now, I'm just asking you to get into that dream state where you can really open up your mind and open up that mindset so you can have a growth mindset to think, what do I most love to do? Think about that. What is it that you most love to do? Hmm. And when you think about what work do I do that doesn't seem like work? So even in your current job, even in your current situation or your part of your life, what, do, what, what are you doing that doesn't feel like work? 
and think about that. What are the qualities about that? What are the experiences? There's things that I just love to do, whether you pay me or not, I love to do it. What is that for you? You know, connecting is a huge piece, but for a long time, when I was in the achievement mode, I would discard it because it was, as one of my friends will say, a soft skill. How can you measure a return on investment in a soft skill? But what I've come to learn through the years of being on the show and and building my coaching practice is that that connection piece is really, really fundamental, right? So often I get emails from listeners who are saying, I listened because you're really connecting with the guests. You're asking the question that I wanted to know the answers to. So thank you for asking my questions. And I do that because my skill set is to be able to connect and it's to be present. And that, and when I'm in my zone of genius, there's that flow. So think about that. And the other question you can ask yourself is, what is my unique ability, right? And it's something that we can so discount. And, and for instance, with this radio show, people would say, well, how do you get guests? Or, you know, how do you do this? And I just didn't think much of it because if I did it, everybody else should be able to do it, right? And, and I would discount it, but I didn't realize that there was because of my belief systems, because of the way I perceive the world, what was easy to me may have been difficult for other people. So never, the things that sometimes become easy, they sometimes end up in our blind spots. So when you think about this, right? Really consider what are my unique abilities? And if you don't know, you can also ask people, you know, ask those people who are on your inner circle. What do you think my unique abilities are? I ask people all the time now when they tell me they love my show, I'm like, well, why do you love my show? You know, what do you get from it? Because I'm trying to understand what it is that they're getting from the show that I love to do so much. Recently, I was at a conference and some woman came up and she stopped me and she said, I just want to thank you for your show. And she had tears in her eyes and she says, it's means, it's meant so much to me. And I was able to now finally, after many years, receive that. And I said, well, thank you so much. That pulls on my heartstrings because this is a heart project for me, this radio show. And I say that with all sincerity, right? One of the things that Gay talked about was that you can take the leap, but let's do it in a practical manner, right? Don't, don't just leap out into space. Remember, he talked about make these changes so that you're in your zone of genius 50% of the time, and then you get into 60%, and then 70%. Shoot, I even think, why not start out at, you know, I like his idea starting out at 10, 10 minutes a day and building from that. One of the things that I say all the time is that small hinges can move big doors. I got that from, I think, a musician. Small hinges can move big doors. We don't have to take these huge leaps, but what happens is that after a while, those small hinges or those small baby steps lead to a big leap. So I really invite you to think about this and think about what is your zone of genius. Think about it, write it down, talk to people, start trying to cultivate. You know, what is your zone of genius? What do you most love to do? Let go of what the job's supposed to look like, how you're supposed to get the job, right? going, I wouldn't probably find inspiration on a job board. Maybe you would, but I wouldn't. You know, what are the things that light you up? What are the things that you can just do all day long? You know, I have certain passion topics that I love to talk about, right? And I just get so excited. And it's, for me, it's really comes down to helping people see what's possible, helping people get out of their way. That is just such a passion for me. I love it. I can see those patterns in people. I can see how they get stuck. 
and helping them move through that. That is exciting for me, right? What, what is it for you? What lights you up? When, notice when do you like to be part of conversations? When don't you like to be part of conversations? And the thing I ask you to consider is there's nothing wrong with you, right? I used to beat myself up that I would go to parties and hated parties. And what I realized is, is that I like really deep, meaningful connections. And it doesn't have to be 24-7, but, and there are times that I will still go to a party. But my preference is those, whether they're one-on-one or small groups and just being around really brilliant people and connecting and talking and learning. And last weekend, I, was ha- I got to have this experience on many different levels. And I was with this brilliant group of women and they did most of the talking and I just listened. And then, you know, of course, I had these great questions to ask at times. And I would ask the question and somebody would say, ooh, that was the question that I wanted to know right? That's a common theme. Just, I invite you, open up your brain, open up your mindset. And what is it that lights you up? What is it that inspires you? And what is, what is it that gets you in your flow or your zone of genius as Gay Hendricks says? And one of the things as you figure, try to work on figuring out your zone of genius, it may be easier to look at other people and go, what is it about that person? Where is, where is their zone of genius? And it's not to get into their business, but what, it, what I find it does sometimes is it helps, helps us open up our mindset so we don't have perceptual blindness, right? So if you go onto Gay's website, his wife will say his genius is that he sees the essence of people and the core pattern blocking the direct experience of essence in about two seconds. And isn't that interesting how that's different than what he talked about, right? But it, but it's also similar because he can see core patterns. That's his skill set. That's his genius. And then he delivers it on many different modalities, whether it's giving workshops or programs, speaking on the radio, you know, writing books. There's many different modalities, but that's his zone of genius. So now I leave you. For you to consider, what is your zone of genius? What do you most love to do? And what work do you do that doesn't seem like work? Consider all this. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space 
so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.